What do you do when you're fed up with crime in your local area? What do you do when your neighbors are hungry? Well, my guest today, Joe Garrison of the North Shadeland Alliance, took action. Now, for years on this program, I've been saying that the path to a free society is not through anti-government action or even running for office. It's through starting nonprofits. It's through starting businesses. My guest today, Joe, and a group of other people in their neighborhood took the death of a local subway worker that was friendly with them as a challenge to make their community safer through nonviolent voluntary action. And he's done an enormous job of creating... Uh, he's done an he's done an enormously he's done a fantastic job at also the other thing that they've done is they've taken their food desert and they've found solutions to help their neighbors get food it's an amazing story and it's all so much easier than you think and so even though this is about a local part of a city you don't live in most likely I want you to listen to this because I want you to hear how easy it was maybe not easy but way easier than you probably think to start acting in your community to make it safer, to make people fed, and to help them get jobs. So tune in today on the Chris Spangle Show as I talk to Joe Garrison of the North Shadeland Alliance, and we'll be right back after these messages. We run on the value for value model here on the Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means, do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills, You're also going to get ad-free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed of all the past episodes. And there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like I am about to do right now. Thank you so much to our $100 a month members, especially Vincent Pykel, Matthew Durbin, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, and our good friend Reinhold. Thank you so much for supporting us, and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. So let's start with a little bit about your background. Let's get to know you just very briefly. What's you live here in Indianapolis, and I know this is a, a bit of this is a hyper local thing, even too local for my statewide podcast. Sure. But it is a great story of citizens getting together, engaging their community, it being easier than people think, and that's why I yeah. want to highlight it. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on the charity, tell me about your charity and all that kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> so I want to know more about you. What yeah. motivated you to get involved in such a dynamic way? What's your background that sort of gave you a heart for your local yeah. community? Yeah, absolutely. Currently, I'm a marketer. I run a marketing company in northeast side of Indy. We've lived in this area pretty much my entire life. Grew up in the Lawrence Township area. I was a youth pastor at Castle United Methodist Church for about five years. And then you know what of, that's what's funny is I applied to be the ops manager at Castle United Methodist Church. And it's did you really one of those jobs where I'm so glad I didn't get it. I wanted to do it. 
<laughs> I wasn't right for it, but I was like, it's one of the few jobs I applied for. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness I didn't get it that job because <laughs> I ended yeah. up at Bob and Tom, which was my dream job. Yeah, that seems to be the right fit for you. Yeah, so I was there for about five years doing youth ministry, worship stuff. I've transitioned into marketing. I do marketing for businesses, churches, nonprofits, locally and all around the country. So my the impetus for my charitable side probably does come from that ministry side, spending five years growing youth ministry and being a part of this, this specifically this community for most of my life. Yeah, so North Shadeland is actually where Bob and Tom is located. It's If you're looking at Indianapolis and you see the 465 loop, it's on the... Mm-hmm. Right northeast side, that quadrant. Mm-hmm. How just for give us a size and scope for people who aren't familiar with the the area that your organization deals with in. Yeah, so we say Shadeland Avenue between 82nd Street and Fall Creek Road and the surrounding area. So like a five square mile. Yeah, blurry edges, but it's right. yeah, it's a couple miles really. And, uh, and it's radius. not an. It, it's weird because there are neighborhoods that are really affluent. And then there are neighborhoods that are really not affluent. And then there's everything mm-hmm. in between, including the Doolittle Studios here on the pod, our podcast <laughs> studios over it, over there. Yeah. Uh, and Harry's bonus house is much different than the houses over in uh, off of 56th Street. So it's a weird area. It's just like a blended. Yeah. You've got all kinds of poverty, but then you've also got lots of wealthy people. It's a weird part of town. Yeah, you can have anything from the neighborhoods that I live in because of the excessive home prices right now. You could call us in the 400s. We have closer to a million in some areas. And then at 75th and Shadeland, you have 1,500 apartment units. And that intersection alone, over 1,200 at Lake Castleton, several hundred at Bayview, several senior citizens places, low-income senior citizen facility, a couple other apartment complexes. It really does end-to-end. As far as demographics go, economically, racially, ethnically, all that kind of thing. Everything's here. Okay. Yeah. My ex-wife lived in Lake Castleton, and mm-hmm. it was pretty rough in the mid-2000s, and it's just spiraled even worse. And it seems to be a, a hot spot of just, I don't know what. It just seems, and is that sort of the main part of where one property owner has apartments and doesn't really look after it in the way that they need to. And then the police and the community have to deal with it. Sure. That can be part of it. Obviously we have four or five different apartment complexes in here. Lake Caston's had the worst run of it this past several years. It's been quiet there for most of a year now. And we're hanging on to that as far as the homicides and stuff like that. But yeah, apartment complexes is one thing because it's hard to manage any of them. There's hundreds of units, thousands of people, And you can imagine how difficult that would be for anybody to manage. Lake Castleton has 1,264, I think, units, even if only two people lived in each one. That's a lot of people, plus a lot of guests in and out, a big footprint. It's just hard to manage for its size, I think, is the biggest problem over there. The other thing, the other, because I'm trying to give people an idea of demographics and place so they fully understand the story. But the other thing that's interesting about this little part of town, uh, there's there's some chain restaurants, there's some grocery stores, there's a few mom and pop places, there's all the way to rundown strip malls, right? So it's a very yeah. diverse area in all demographics, ways, and forms. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a sense of community. It's not it's not like Lawrence, which is very close, if not mm-hmm. part of this. 
that is its own town and has Fort Ben and has like parades and <laughs> or right. yeah, yeah. where I'm at in Fall Creek Place where it's very walkable. But you're split up by an interstate, and then there's yeah. also really big roads. There's not a lot of wa- lot of walkability. There's no right. like common park. It's not the place in Indianapolis that, if I were to guess, there's an active community group. I, I would not pick your part of town because it's probably right. the least communal in terms of the actual place. Can you speak on that? How did that? Yeah. H- how do you get so many people motivated to the point that you're as active as you are? when you geographically don't have a way to connect. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, it's been a challenge for sure, especially with the outside versus inside the apartment complexes. There's just a real big disconnect there. Outside of that, generally there is some sense of community in this area and it's a growing sense of community. I think motivating people to get involved has been being very targeted in terms of what problems we're solving in the moment. So for a while, 2021, we had seven homicides at the corner of 75th and Shadeland. For an area that averages zero to one, that's a massive increase. So we were able to rally around that and get people connected and involved and build some relationships there. Over this last summer, we through our work in that, we realized we're in a food desert. It doesn't feel like it, but there used to be of, a Marsh grocery store, yeah. which is like our version of Kroger. That's closed down. That's no yeah, that's area. gone. There's really no walkable food option other than like the gas station, which is not healthy. Kroger um, is a really long way. Walk- yeah, yeah. Try walking from 75th and Shadeland to Kroger a without dying because the traffic is terrible. There's no sidewalks in a lot of areas, but also it's just going to take forever. I've seen people in uh, wheelchairs make the trek to wow. go get their groceries. So we realized we're in a food desert and we heard a lot of people say things like, hey, we're struggling to decide whether I'm going to pay my rent or feed my kids this month. And so that kind of hit us and we were able to make a connection with Gleaners this past summer. And we did a weekly mobile food bank. We're able to serve about 400 uh, households pretty much every Monday from June through August and are now trying to figure out, okay, that was cool. That proved we have a need. What do we do that's more consistent and permanent and addresses that food insecurity issue? So let's hop back to the beginning here before we yeah. start to get into the programs, because now that we've got a sense that, oh, this is an impossible part of town for people who are lower income to live, and it's an impossible location where you wouldn't think that you could have community, but you built it. What happens that sparks the idea and who gets mm-hmm. the ball rolling? Yeah. So in January of 2020, before all hell broke loose, internationally. There was a homicide at the uh, subway at 75th and Shadeland. A worker, guide worked there for six or eight years. The name of Shuk Kumar was killed during an armed robbery. He was someone that had made me a lot of sandwiches. <laughs> so I knew him as much as you know a guy that makes you sandwiches every few weeks for years on end. And so that kind of hit close. I've had a lot of meetings with students as a youth pastor in the area at that subway. Prior to that, notice things. Hey, things are not going in the right direction as far as just little robberies here and there, petty stuff, car thefts, that kind of thing. When that hit, rallied the community. Everyone went, whoa, this doesn't happen in our area. What's going on? A few of us got together, three of us at the Starbucks across the street, 
said, what can we do? By the end of it, being the marketing guy that I am, I owned all the North Shade and Little Alliance domains <laughs> and social media accounts and stuff like that. One of my partners is... Got to uh, snap them up quick before the North Shadeland yeah, Alliance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah NorthShadeland.com is, I don't know. But my partner, she's an IMPD spouse, so she had a lot of connections. Her husband's a sergeant, so she's connected there. And we thought, what if we put in just an IMPD substation? Could we make that work? Let's get with the property manager. Let's get with IMPD. Let's get with some community partners and just try to pull this together. Within pretty short order, we raised $15,000 on a GoFundMe. The property manager donated the space and the utilities. We furnished it and provided just like drinks and snacks and stuff in there. So what is a substation? Yeah, it's essentially, it's not a lie, like an open active police substation or police station. We don't really have those in Indianapolis. It's basically a place for officers to go take a break, do paperwork, take a meeting, meet together. A lot of officers, especially female officers, have to don't love going to public restrooms and things like that. So we have a nice, quiet, safe place for them to stop, hit the restroom, and is take it, a break. So at this particular location, so if you're right there, yeah. just to give people a mental image that'll never drive through it, you've got where a grocery store was in an yeah. L shape, and then you've got mm-hmm. uh, you know another piece of that. And then in front of that, you have a bank and a Wendy's and across the street is the subway and a a strip mall of a few more Kaplingers, one of the best fish restaurants. Absolutely. Then across from that is a CVS. And then on the Mm -hmm. other corner is the apartment complex. Yes. And so you've got like an O'Charlie's. I think the O'Charlie's may be closed, but yeah, it's been gone for a while. Yeah. The Shell station, gas station. Then right north of that is like a, a park of Buildings for offices. Yeah, Hillsdale Park. And then above that is the really big, busy stretch of road. Community health and all that kind of stuff. Close to there is a mall. So it's a very, it's unless you're going to Alibis to have a a nice drink. Which is gone now. Lincoln Square Pancake House just opened. No, Alibis is closed. Yeah, it's been gone for a few months now. Lincoln Square just took over and opened up. Let's go. There's like a Lincoln Square every five months. Yeah, that's disappointing. Alibis was the place where most of the Bob and Tom bits were written. I didn't know that. That's I didn't know that either. Great buffalo chicken sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, there's a lot of industrial and apartments and homes kind of close by. And so it's very transient. Mm -hmm. And is the thinking that if we can go into that L shaped mall, which I assume that's where the substation is. Yeah. We're just drawing more police into the area. And so by having police in the area, People are going to be less likely to engage in something like theft or murder. Sure. Yeah, that's the the base of it. Police in the area, but are the possibility of police in the area. The substation is there. It's got the IMPD logo on it. It says police in lit letters. And at any given moment, you could have a, an officer coming by to have lunch or grab a snack on, on their way through the area. So it honestly, our kind of thing is you have to make that calculation of, is this worth it to do something stupid right now, knowing that at any moment, a cop or five or seven, depending on the moment, can be rolling into there. So it's done a great job. We've effect- effectively squashed just about everything within that specific shopping center. So who did you reach out to? Were they just friends of yours and said, look, we got to do something? Or was it you saw a post on Facebook and said, other people are tired too. Let me send sure. them a DM. How did the original meeting at that yeah. Starbucks come about? My partner, Chris Parmalee, was, she, hers, she's the one who's a IMPD spouse. She ran this kind of this smaller organization called Star Shadeland Turnaround and Revitalization or something. And I went to a meeting she had once and connected that way. My other partner, Tara, I'd never met her before. 
never heard of her. I reached out to Chris, said, Hey, I know you do this other stuff. How can I help? Let's get together. Tara had had a same similar conversation with Chris. We all got together at the same time. Hi, how you doing? I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Tara. Hour later, we've got an organization and we're going, how do we make this legit? How do we get this substation put in? How do we make our own organization a real thing (laughs) as opposed to just a social media handle? And we all just had a similar thought and vision behind at least that initial push of like public safety stuff. So it just fell into place. Okay. And was it her idea being connected to IMPD that, oh, this is an option that we, because I wouldn't think of maybe we could put up a substation. I didn't know that was a thing. So I'm guessing she was maybe the idea behind that or. We all individually had the idea and then came together and we're all like, oh my gosh, we all have the same idea. That's Chris, obviously connected with IMPD. My church had a, has and continues to have a smaller substation hidden in it. Mm. And Tara was just familiar with the concept. And we all thought well, if we could just plaster a bunch of police in there, that would be like a really nice bandaid until we can figure out some other stuff. Yeah. So I wouldn't think that you'd go around raising money to bring more cops to your area and it would work. So when you put up the GoFundMe, you know, mm-hmm. what was the response from the neighborhood and people? Because I think if you watch the news, everybody hates the cops and we need to abolish police departments. But if you're actually living in an area like this, that's usually not how people feel about it. Yeah, most people don't feel that way. People have feelings one way or another about police. But for the most part, average people that aren't super politically active tend to want the police around to protect them when needed. We had a great response. Like I said, in pretty you know short order, a month, month and a half, we raised $15,000. All of it was... Other than a handful of corporate donations from businesses in the area, all of it was nickel and dime type small donations from community members. But for the most part, everybody was real excited about it. Sure, there was a handful of people that were like, I don't know about this, but majority was very supportive. How did you reach people to let them know that you were doing this GoFundMe? What kind of marketing did you do to get people to go door to door like a (laughs) campaign or how did you reach people? email, social media, other organizations that we connected with and said, Hey, can you share this? Like I said, I snatched up all the social media stuff. So within a few days I had a website up and all the social media running. So we started building that base through there and using our own personal networks, just our own Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and stuff like that. Okay. So you're telling me that I just need two or three more people. I can buy a Wix website, set up some social media, give it a name (laughs) <laughs> and then start messaging all of the local businesses saying, hey, I've got this idea and then it will work because that seems way easier than I think most people conceptualize. Yeah, to some extent, it's not much harder than that. Now, we'd all built up a little bit of individual social capital. Chris was very has been very involved in the community for a long time. Like I said, I was a local youth pastor and have lived in the area for 30 years, basically, at this point. So there's some social capital there that we're able to draw on and connections, personal networks, things like that. But if you have those things, it's not insanely hard to do something like this and start to make a difference. And one of the things that I've noticed that happens when somebody becomes, then they put themselves in a position of leadership like you all did. You do this one thing and then somebody comes along and goes, hey, the next need is... Yeah. So what was that next thing that somebody came and said, hey, you know what else is plaguing our community? Yeah. Yeah. So public safety right off the bat. After that, it was little things here and there. These roads are trash and we need potholes. And what do we do about this? We got involved pretty quickly in like we set up a public forum for on public safety. Initially, people like were just frustrated. They didn't have a voice. 
And so from us actually being like engaged with IMPD, people said, we want to have a voice about this. So we set up a forum um, with our city councilors, IMPD, a um, couple other people, Reverend Charles Harrison um, from 10 Point Coalition. We had about 400 people show up to that and gave them a voice, let them talk and ask questions and hear from these people that have ideas or actually jobs <laughs> are to make things better. That kind of progressed through. We did a public safety forum with the two prosecutor candidates from Marion County. And then after that, it was food safety or food insecurity. People just hearing people say, am I going to pay my rent or am I going to feed my kids? What can you guys do to help me? And we started with, we can, there's the Lawrence Township trustee and there's a food bank way over on the, over on Pendleton Pike. And then we got connected with gleaners and we're able to do something decent. Yeah. Cause Pendleton Pike is not walkable. Again, yeah, no. this is enormous. There's an interstate and then there's really big roads that connect to the interstate and there's not really sidewalks. I've had two jobs in this particular piece of town and, and yeah. it's just, it's so different, Joe, than when I worked there in 2005. There there was yeah. a Kmart, there was a Meyer, there was a, or a, a Marsh, there was a Kroger and all that stuff is closed down as things have been centralized in the suburbs and yeah. if the Kroger at 16th Street that I just ran to at my lunch break shut down, this area would be in a lot of trouble here where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, so you as a group then reach out to the food bank and yeah. set up these things and then what other needs popped up that you were able to organize and get going or is that kind of the long and short of it? Yeah, for most part, it's the long and short. We try to do just community building things. Like we have a fall festival this weekend, things like that. We'll bring five, 600 people into that parking lot in front of the IMPD substation. And we try to do more things than just have fun <laughs> there. So we have obviously a typical fall fest. We got games and a live band and a bunch of stuff. We also have domestic violence network and Jane Pauley health network and Lawrence Township trustee and IMPDs there. Different resources in the area that residents can come to and um, connect with because if you look in this area, there is no res- there are no resources in this area. People go, oh, there's four hundred thousand dollar homes three blocks away. They don't need anything. It turns out we need a lot of stuff, and we just get overlooked by honestly our city government. Just going, we have bigger fish to fry, and maybe that's true, but that doesn't negate the need that's here. So we try to find interesting ways to connect people with those kind of things where, Hey, come out and have fun. Oh, by the way, here's domestic violence network because we know domestic violence is an issue in our community. And I don't know if you're there yet, but you will, if you're not already there, you get to a point where like the broad ripples association is so listened to by the city councilors yeah, and the mayor and people who want to run for office, go and court those groups because now all of a sudden you have funneled the voice of the community yeah. into a single voice which it, it kind of raises the question, like, how do you use that responsibly so you aren't taking positions, but you're speaking with one voice? Yeah, obviously, the it's, it's four of us now that lead this. We all have our own individual positions and political affiliations and or lack of affiliations. But we try to make sure that as a group that we're very just flatline. Here's the information. Here's access to the candidates. That's big for us came this close to getting a mayoral forum this year, <laughs> lost it last minute, but uh, just giving people access and letting them ask their questions and letting them have their voice. So if we do a forum with candidates, we don't put our finger on the scale at all. We solicit questions from the community and they're asked by a moderator evenly to candidates, those kind of things. We really, everything from public safety to road issues to anything. We just try to say, hey, this is an issue. We have really good relationships with our two city councilors in this area. 
some of that's going to be changing around here soon, but we anticipate that the relationship will continue. Just being able to say, hey, people are saying this is an issue. What do we do about it? And to be honest, they've been really good about let's figure something out. Let's let's talk about it and see if we can figure yeah. something out. Generally, if you're just fair to people, then yeah. it doesn't matter what party you're in. As long as you're putting community interest first, at least here in Indianapolis, you yeah. occasionally get the an Indian, like the self-motivated person who's just trying to get themselves, the ambitious person, I guess, is the way. Yeah, you get some partisan crazies here and there, yeah. but for the most part, people just want, they want a safe community. They want food on the table. They want yeah. to feel good about where they live. And if you can help them do that, they don't care what your label is. Now, I'm a weirdo. I was reading, I read 50 pages in the history of the Indiana Historical Society last night, <laughs> and I was going through the way founding of it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm up to the, the 1890s when John Piat Dunn takes over, but Jacob, excuse me. So one of the problems that they had with that organization was keeping it going because it got Mm -hmm. founded by this guy who had a boundless energy in his eulogy. Weirdly, Sam Merrill was talking about how annoying he was because he was so (laughs) prodding. And that seems to be like the way that things go, right? There's one person with a vision that spurs things on, then it's like a community, roughly four people take over and caretake it. And then 10 years on, they get busy or pass away or kids or whatever, right? And then all of a sudden there's a lot of atrophy. So how do you keep this going in a balanced way that consistently serves people beyond the four people? I don't know if you've given that any thought. It's fairly new. It's four years old. But do you have any governance or, gosh, God forbid you bring in government, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's nobody likes to do that. So we are a technically our 501c3 comes through Benford Redevelopment Growth. So we're, we started, we operate pretty much entirely separately other than they keep our books for us. Gotcha. So we're through there as far as a community connection that could help keep this going. We have tried to be open to people coming. We, our substation manager came on about a year and a half ago, just with someone that was like, Hey, we're, I'm interested. What can I do? And getting that person involved, she's become a, an integral part of the organization. We don't have any like formal plans as far as what's this look like 10 years from now. But for the moment, I think that's what makes us effective. There's organizations that like our partner organization, Bragg, they've worked for 10 years on the nickel plate trail. And that's amazing that they can work for like forever and eventually see that code go through. And that's groundbreaking is going to happen here at some point in the next few months. We operate on a group text and we can set up a forum with prosecutor candidates in about three hours. Right. <laughs> and so that we're in that stage. Eventually, like you said, we're, we'll have to transition out of that. But at the moment, no specific plans other than just be open to people that are willing to participate and people with a heart for the community come along. So let's end with some stories. What are, you can change names if you want to, but what are a couple, one or two examples of people that, man, this story is just at the heart of what we do. Yeah. The first one's a shook that was killed at Subway. Like I said, I, when I was a youth director, I would be there once a week. <laughs> oh, I got a late meeting. I got to grab a sandwich. I'd, he's, he was a funny guy, dry sense of humor, would joke with you all the time, just give you, just give you <laughs> as a customer, but in a way that was fun and funny and you felt like you knew him. And so that one is the main one that sticks out is that's what started it all is just going have to die. That was not, that shouldn't have been in his story. Some other ones, gosh, the we used to do uh, weekly public safety walks with Charles Harrison and Ten Point Coalition inside Lake Castleton. And one day this young woman, early 20s, I would assume, comes up and she's just pulls up real quick and in front of us and is, you guys work here? And she's just having a breakdown. What's wrong? Today's the 
one one year anniversary of my brother being executed right there. And just she just showed up out of the blue, like we didn't know she was going to be there. And so we were able to talk to her for about 20 minutes and hear her story and what's been happening or not happening in the investigation and her goal to see justice for her brother. And apparently she watched him die on video. They like it was like somehow live streamed or something ridiculous. So you hear stuff like that. and You're like, wow, <laughs> like that should not be happening anywhere. Yeah. But like for that to happen in a community that is typically seen as like pretty safe and sleepy that just like shakes you up. And in that situation, were there things that you were able to go back to your IMPD partners and say, hey, this person who doesn't have any contact and is probably a little afraid to talk to you has questions about this. Can somebody reach out? And then all of a sudden that relationship between the community and the police is repaired. Has that happened? Not that one specifically. I mean, she didn't have a ton to go on. And so it's like, she's angry and mad and we can reach out and say, where's the investigation and try to get her some information. But that investigation, I think it stalled at that point. There'd been other times where we've had people in that complex go, Hey, the, the people above me are dealing drugs, throwing parties. There's just these crazy things happening. And we'd been able to connect with IMPD and say, Hey, we got a tip that this is going on in this apartment. And over a short period of time, they're able to make some connections and get that taken care of. Whether that's that person getting evicted or arrested or what whatever that might look like. We've definitely had several of those where we've had what we'll consider anonymous tips of things going on and being able to help other people in that complex live a safer life because we've been able to get IMPD involved with those situations. All right. Shameless self-promotion time. Like what else should people know that I would be too ignorant to ask and where can people yeah. find you and follow your work and support you if they want to? Yeah, we're northshadeland.com at northshadeland just about everywhere. If anybody's listening that lives in this area, the hardest thing is just knowing exactly what to take on. We love to take on problems big and small, and we love partnering with anybody that'll do it. We've done it several times and we're ready to do it again. And if you have an idea, just don't be afraid to speak up. Tell somebody and maybe we're the people that can help you overcome something or make the community a little better. Would You don't have to give out your personal information, but if somebody's listening and they wanted to do this in their area, would you be willing to answer questions for them? Yeah, absolutely. I'm at Joe, Gar- at Joe G. Garrison just about everywhere. So hit me on social media. I run Moonflower Marketing. I've got a contact form. You can hit me there. All right, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us here on the Chris Spangle Show. We really appreciate it. I hope that you took that story and gave you some inspiration to do something similar in your neck of the woods. It's easier than you think, and it's more impactful than you'll ever understand. So thanks so much for joining us here on the Chris Spangle Show. Chris Spangle.